Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. Roan, how are you? Well... Love that question. Uh, yeah, you, you know, every time. I always have to. Yeah, I always have to think about it or call Eva. Yeah, yeah that's that's how I answer that question. Well, let me be a little bit more direct. Here's something I want to know about. You guys just uh, had a leadership weekend related to the men's ministry, men's stuff that you guys do, and I've been hearing a lot about it. Is that something you enjoy doing? Man, it's um, it is. Probably just all of the men's stuff is, man, that's the favorite part of the work, anything that I do. Because uh, we just, it's the idea of, you know, we're rescuing the hearts of men. Mm. And so many men are just shut down. Uh, they, they're, they'll show up in church because their wives make them. Right. But they're kind of bored. And uh, it's just always amazing to me uh, the amount of pain and hurt that people walk around with, especially men, because there's no avenue to talk about it. I agree. It looks really different, though, on the surface. It just looks kind of like frozen or disengaged. But then when you get these guys away in an environment that's exclusively for men, just something changes. You can just be more direct about the things that are most likely going on beneath the surface. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, I, you know, even I work with couples uh, together. Um, I'm, I, I don't work with women um, because I always say I've got one. I've been married to her for 40 years, haven't figured her out yet. So I don't know what good it would do me to (laughs) counsel with women. And, um, but man, I, uh, I love, I love my work with men and even counseling with men looks a lot different than it does uh, in counseling with women. And there's been books written about that. And, you know, the whole counseling paradigm it was all created for women because men generally don't just say hey i think i'll go to counseling (laughs) right i'd like to talk about my feelings especially the repressed ones yes (laughs) no just just uh, i call those guys every now and then a guy will call the office make an appointment show up all by himself and i call them a unicorn Exactly. I use that terminology (laughs) all the time. Well, the interesting part about it is um, we enjoy doing that. I think both of us could say this together. We enjoy doing that because we've done our work and we know the freedom that is there by addressing these underlying things in our own story. But usually, and I think both of us actually had a, a similar path to this sort of work, we become unable to manage the symptoms of what our pain or underlying pain is actually causing. And one thing that's been unique about your story and Eva's story over the years is just how open you have been with that. How did you guys find that courage? Well, I think for me, it's like when I admitted to Eva that I had a problem with pornography, that's where it all started. And I was ready to do to live life differently. Um, and of course, you know, kind of, I got the monkey off of my back and it was on hers because mm. it was all hidden and secret. But there was just something early on in me that I think it was just God, um, like, I'm going to use this. And um, I won't go into that story, but I, I do remember just a, a still, quiet voice saying that, you know, God speaking, uh, I'm going to use this for my glory. And there was just, I think it, all of that, 
you know, work to give me the courage to begin to speak out uh, early on. And God did a lot of healing around my sexual addiction. Not that I don't have any shame, uh, certainly, but uh, a lot of healing around that, giving me the ability, the courage to speak uh, into that uh, in churches that we were involved in. And so many men would follow me to the parking lot. Um, Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, outside of the building, yeah. outside of earshot. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. People, <laughs> people avoid me like the plague at church. Believe me, I can respect yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> and and not just because of your personality. Well, there's probably some of both. <laughs> yeah, well, some of the language that you and Eva use is is really particular, and Eva's actually used this language in a very early episode here on this podcast. But you guys frame this up to say if you're going to experience growth or healing, especially as a couple, it's going to require time, tears, and talking. You guys have built those words over the years by practicing that with each other, correct? Oh, yeah. A lot lot of time, a lot of tears, a lot of talking. Eva does a lot of talking. Uh, I shed a lot of tears, and we spend a lot of time. time. Yeah, yeah, that's usually how it works. You know, the interesting thing I've found over the years is that I may be good at one of those in the moment, but I really want to interrupt all the others. And being able to frame that up to say if you're doing that, then you're actually blocking the true healing and work that can go on if you don't want to accept all of those. I'll be willing to talk and shed a few tears, but I don't want to give it much time. I'm ready to be past this. Or if we give it a lot of time, but we refuse to engage with the emotion, that's a problem. Uh, So we're rolling into a legacy episode where you and Eva sat down behind a microphone actually for nearly two hours uh, to discuss your story. So we're going to let our listeners hear that. Uh, What's something they should be looking for as they're rolling through listening to you and Eva tell your story? I I think the thing that uh, we often say is, like, this stuff doesn't happen on its own. Uh, There's no magic. It takes a lot of work, um, and it's worth every minute of it, every every dollar you spend on counseling or intensives or whatever it is. It's like our good friend Jim Crest says, uh, it takes, takes two things. We say time, tears, and talking. Uh, Jim says it takes mucus and money. <laughs> that sounds just like him. I like your version better. Yeah. So without further delay, we give you Ron and Eva's story, part one. I'm excited about our guests today because I think what they have to talk about is so relevant. Uh, We talk about divorce in Mississippi and the components of divorce, and um, you can't have a conversation about divorce really anywhere and not talk about sexual brokenness and infidelity. Our guests today are my dear friends, Ron and Eva Hunter. Ron and Eva have an amazing story that has inspired so many people. They are certified sex addiction therapist, but more importantly, they're my friends. So, Ronan Eva, mm-hmm. welcome. Thank you for being here. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. So, guys, you'll have a great story, one that's inspired so many people, one that served as the catalyst for your career. Eva, I'd love to hear in your own words a little bit about that. Okay. Uh, let's see. It will be 30 years in February of 2020, that discovery happened. And discovery for us was just one morning, Roan had been really down, somewhat depressed. And so I just asked him one morning, I was, I asked, you know, what's going on? What, what's happening? And 
the words that came out of his mouth were, I am addicted to pornography. Well, I said, I have a problem with pornography. That's right. You said, I have a problem with pornography. And that was a God thing, because if it had been me, I would have said, I have a problem with geography, because I wasn't going to tell it for nothing. So at that moment, I mean, my world shattered because uh, we were very involved in our church. We were living in Marietta, Georgia. We, We were... This sounds so funny, but we were Sunday school presidents. So we were in leadership, and we had this image that we, I thought was real. Um, and so that was really the hardest part for me, was not really knowing who he is. So, Eva, I think you're speaking to the heart of many women who might be listening right now. Did you not have any indication that something was going on that just wasn't right? One thing I've learned, I don't know much. <laughs> Uh, I do live with three um, beautiful women, and I'm learning to trust my wife's intuition. So did did you not have a sense that something was wrong? Absolutely, I did. Um, from the time that even when we w- had been dating, uh, at this point we were married for se- had been married seven years, two small children, and I had seen things. It was uh, more of eye contact, you know, look kind of checking women out. I had never found porn in our home. Uh, It was before the internet, so I'd never discovered anything on the computer or on a phone. Um, I had, we did not go to R-rated movies at that time at all. And so the only thing I had seen was more behavioral. That's really all I'd seen, more checking women women out. And at that point, Mm -hmm. neither of you guys were you weren't counselors at that point, right? Oh, no, no. I was in corporate sales, and Eva at that point was a stay-at-home mom with our two-year-old and basically three-year-old boys. So what happened then? So, so, so there was discovery. Discovery in that he confessed. He did tell me, which is extremely rare. I mean, we sit with couples uh, every day, multiple time, multiple hours a day, and it's very rare that a man just comes out and confesses. Well, so you said that, you know, something just didn't seem right, something seemed off. How long had you felt that way? Um, you know, it would come and go. Uh, Roan was really good at convincing me that um, it's called gaslighting, that I was somewhat jealous or I was insecure. I was all those things. But in my heart, I knew that I really wasn't that kind of person. At times, I would go, well, maybe I just need to work on myself. Maybe I'm. Um, it, it is all my problem. Um, I would also convince myself that I was wrong. So, see, this is a double-edged sword because there's, on the one hand, he's telling me I'm wrong, so it's hard for me to trust myself. So no longer trust becomes broken because I can't trust him and I can't trust myself. It's a double-edged sword. So what did you do after Discovery? After Discovery, I actually came home to Mississippi, and I was here for maybe a week. Um, I went and saw a counselor, and the counselor said, you know, it's a lot of men look at pornography. It was really bad advice. Uh, a lot of men look at pornography doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, what, one of the things she said was, maybe you want to just find try to find out more. Um, so on the way back home um, to Marietta with my boys— It was the Holy Spirit asking me, you know, just really prompting me to think, well, maybe I do need to sit down and just ask questions, be curious. Now, 
I don't know that I know the answer to this question. Had you ever been to a counselor before the day that you <laughs> stepped foot after discovery no. in, in a counselor's office? No, and my mother went with me. <laughs> so, Ron, so, so discovery <laughs> happens. I have a problem with geography. I mean, <laughs> pornography. Yes. What was going on with you? Well, the, the thing was, it was much more than pornography. Uh, what we know today is it was a full-blown sexual addiction. Now, I want to stop you there. Yeah. The, that's a... Um, I don't know if buzzword is the right is the right phrasing, mm-hmm. but I mean, is there such a thing as sexual addiction? Well, uh, from where we sit and from our own experience, uh, absolutely. However, in our field, uh, it is still debated uh, as to whether or not it's a would be defined as a true addiction. But the millions of people that are getting help now uh, would probably argue that it really is an addiction. Right. Well, I, I yeah. want to circle back to that later. But yeah. But for now, you said it was it was full blown sexual addiction, and yeah, um, uh, I started looking at porn when I was eight or nine years old. My, my mother's attitude was boys will be boys. Um, I had two older brothers. We had porn on our bedside table, and of course. Thank goodness. This was back in the days when it was magazines, like these things with paper and ink and (laughs) prints, weird. Uh, Nobody knows that anymore. Uh, With the high-speed internet and cell phones, uh, everything has changed. But I got hooked on it just uh, probably the first time that I looked at it. I mean, uh, parents divorced when I was eight. Uh, The trauma, you know, and again, in 1990, when when this came out, we didn't know any of this. We were just clueless and and lost trying to figure out how to deal with this or to do something. And my addiction had progressed, and which is it's always progressive when it moves into full-blown addiction. And I'd gone to strip joints and massage parlors and ultimately prostitutes and all of that. All I told Eva that day was I had a problem with pornography, and there was a whole lot more. So, Eva, you said you had gone to see a counselor. You took your mama with you. You're <laughs> headed back to uh, Georgia. Maybe you need to find out more. What happened then? So, um, let me back up a minute because when I, after my counseling session, a few days later, I'm still in Mississippi. And at that time, Roan had gone uh, to our Sunday school teachers, which were an older couple, and he had confessed everything to them too. So um, she caught my, the, my, the female, the, the wife, called me in Mississippi and said, hey, Roan has told us everything, and we're willing to walk through this with you. So that gave me some hope that Roan, number one, had told somebody else, uh, and also that there was someone that I could lean on if I needed to. So I went back to um, Atlanta, Marietta. And we got the boys in bed. We sat down at the kitchen table, and I started asking questions that I was not prepared to hear the answers for. And just absolutely, um, again, my world shattered. Use some adjectives to describe what was going on with you internally while that discussion was happening. It was really rage for me. And other people react differently. But for me, I was unbelievably angry. I could not believe what I was hearing. I couldn't even allow myself to feel the hurt and the sadness yet. I couldn't, I, I wasn't ready to feel that. So was, I guess that interaction, was that more of like the true discovery as opposed to what had been, what you had teased out several days before? 
Yeah, um, because and it's you know so common. We call it the now we call it the kitchen table disclosure, uh, which we do not recommend. Um, and and in that, Eva's just totally unprepared to hear all of this that was hidden and completely hidden in secret. I mean, she, you know, I I was good in my addiction at covering up and hiding. Uh, and looked good on the outside. Nobody that knew me from a work standpoint, church, anything would ever uh, have any indication that you know this was going on. So it's like the person that that she loved the most has now hurt her the worst. So in in that moment, Roan, I mean, are, are you basically at a place where? you want to figure out how to fix this, how to address your issue? Or is this, I want to figure out how to make this blow over so that I can go back to doing everything that I was doing oh, anyway? Yeah. No, I was, I was, I wanted, um, I wanted help and I wanted this thing, I wanted to deal with it. I mean, I'd been sitting in church um, for years. I came to Christ when I was 20. I didn't grow up in church, uh, but I would sit in church and I would hear all the things that you need to do for your sin and Nobody would ever talk about lust because they can't talk about that in church. But this thing that was eating me up on the inside, uh, and that was the addictive nature of it. It's like, I'm never going to do this again, but then I go do it again. Um, and then wanting to be free from it. And then, you know, it's like God knew what had to happen. It had to get out into the light. It had to be exposed. And it was a horrific uh, experience of having to admit that and to to begin to tell the truth, but it's exactly what needed to happen. And then, yeah, I wanted freedom and began to really, you know, I started going to a Christian counselor and got plugged into support groups. And I began to do my work because I wanted freedom from this thing that had been plaguing me for since I was nine years old. Eva, I know that you did, in fact, go see a lawyer during this season of time. Could you talk about that? Well, I did, but it was probably about a year later. Um, I did get, we did get into counseling together as a couple. They didn't know a whole lot about what the partner goes through at that time. Um, it, it does mirror post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Um, they call it trauma now. But that's what was going on inside of me. I was just, I'd, because who I thought he was was not who he really was. And I could not put those two people together. Um, so it just rocked my whole world. About a year after discovery, we'd been in therapy. I was not improving at all. I was not, and um, uh, in fact, I was getting angrier and angrier. I did not understand, and Roan wasn't getting the help as far as how can he, how can he comfort my hurt? How can he do that? Yeah, back then, I mean, this was 1990, um, and there was very little known in therapy world. I mean, there was a little bit, but not a whole lot in dealing with how do you deal with sexual addiction and the trauma of the partner. So I didn't really have other couples or other women in my life that were going through the same thing that I was going through. No one I knew had ever gone through something like this. So I, I made the decision. I was like, I cannot do this anymore. I, we need to separate. I'm, I'm just, the rage inside of me is so great. Um, and I really wanted a legal separation. I wanted to be protected financially. Well, the rage inside and outside. It yes, was yes, great. yes, it was great. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, in, I, I went to, I made an appointment with a female lawyer, thinking that 
you know, she would get me and um, I would connect with her. I would feel safer with her. How did you go about finding the person that you wanted to yeah. share this part of your life with? Do you remember? I think I just probably looked through the yellow pages. You know, we had yellow pages yellow then. Pages. Yeah. <laughs> Do you recall, I mean, was that a decision you labored over or thought about for a long time or mm-hmm. a few did you months. just have a break? Okay. A few months. And I, I just wanted to be protected financially. That I really did not want a divorce. I wanted a really what I wanted was a legal separation. I go and visit with a lawyer, a consultation, and I find out there is no legal separation in the state of Georgia. And that, I think that's the same way in Mississippi. I know it is. There is no legal separation. So um, what she said to me that day was, you know what, the only way you're going to be able to protect yourself financially is to divorce and get child support, alimony, possibly. And um, you can always remarry him if, if there is reconciliation in the future. So coming out of this consultation where you'd been told, you know, the best thing to do is just go ahead and get a divorce. Uh, how did you feel about that? And where, where did you guys go from there? Um, I felt really like I didn't have any choices. That that felt like my only choice to protect myself. And at that, this point, I really just wanted to protect. I just needed fi- financial protection for myself and, you know, my future, my children. Um, that was really my motivation. When she said that, I thought, you know what, this is really what I need to do. Um, And so I did, went through with it. Within 60 days, we were divorced. And um, I began to really think about what it was going to be like to be a single mom. I was a single mom at this point. But it was a, a, a beautiful thing for me because I had been so dependent on Roan. He had really been my safety and security. At this point, I really began to work on me. Um, I had grown up um, in, a, in an addictive family system. Uh, my father uh, was an alcoholic. And so I had a lot of things to unravel and to learn about myself. As I did that, uh, I began to see my own brokenness. And we believe, and I see it every day, brokenness meets brokenness. My brokenness looked different than Roan's, but I had my own things to to work through, heal from. And so I began a journey on that. Um, I became open to reconciliation. Eva, what I heard you say was it took being independent for you to do the introspective work required to move forward as a single person. But as it turned out, it opened you up to the possibility that there could be restoration and reconciliation. That's right. Yeah, and and I think one of the things that happened when we were divorced is you went to the um, an adult children of alcoholics meeting, and you began to realize that your dad's alcoholism had had an effect, uh, because in our counseling sessions prior to the divorce, basically the counselor would ask Eva about her uh, history with dad, alcoholism, and Eva would just say, we're here because of him, fix him. That is so true because yeah. I could not see my my own stuff, my own my own issues. And, and so the ACOA that when they handed you the laundry list of the characteristics of an adult child of an alcoholic was kind of the light bulb moment that that kind of opened your eyes and you began to look at kind of your contribution 
to the dynamics of the relationship, not that our relation that it, what I did was on me. Uh, it was nothing about what Eva was doing or the relationship. Uh, I made those choices. That's right. And yeah. what I know today, what we know today is that, and we say this to couples all the time, is the three C's. I did not cause it. I can't change it. I can't control it. But how did I contribute to it? Rowan, I want to hear from you. So, mm-hmm. you know, Eva is, and these are my words, not hers, putting on her big girl pants and going about the business of raising two sons and being a divorced single mom. What's going on with you? Man, I, uh, at that point, was devastated because uh, I'm just beginning to get into counseling, beginning to understand the impact uh, of my parents' divorce um, when I was eight years old, uh, how that impacted me. Um, You know, that was the fact. They divorced when I was eight. The impact on that um, for me was like, I mean, ripped every foundation of security I had away. And then the track that it set me on was basically just kind of figured out uh, in my life. Uh, And I had two older brothers, and I figured out a lot of bad stuff um, along the way. Um, And so at that point, I'm looking at my two-year-old, three-year-old sons, and I'm just devastated and angry with God because it's like, okay, God, you know, I've admitted it. I've come clean. Uh, You know, it's not supposed to turn out this way. You know, A plus B did not equal C. Um, Now, certainly the consequences of what I'd done uh, was just, that was all part of it. Um, However, it's like, I didn't sign up for this stuff at, you know, eight or nine years old, but the consequences were real. And um, it was a it was a difficult time. So you guys talk about talk about the road home. So Eva, you said you were open to reconciliation. Roan was mad. God, okay, hold on a second. I came clean. Now you've ripped away everything that's important to me. This is not fair. This isn't how it's supposed to be. How did you guys find your way back to each other? Well, I think it takes, well, you know, to, to heal trauma, the, the three, there's three T's. It takes time, tears, and talking. And so when I began to share about what I was learning about myself with him, I mean, that's really what intimacy looks like, that vulnerability between the two of us. Um, and we just began the journey of really beginning to know one another. How long were you guys divorced? We we were separated for about separated and divorced for a total of about a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost a year. So did you guys? So you're divorced. Mm-hmm. Did you date? We did. Yeah. Did you do it better the second time, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, the first time was that hot pursuit. Uh, I think I think the second time was more adult because we were like. We started dating when we were 15, and part of it, you know, we started having sex, you know, when we were 15, 16 years old, and uh, and part of what we were dealing with, or Eva was dealing with, um, was just kind of complex uh, PTSD because she we'd had an abortion uh, mm-hmm. going into our uh, freshman year in college. Mm-hmm. That summer, uh, she'd gotten pregnant, and, and there was an abortion. And so that had never been dealt with, and so we had she, that grief, and then the dad's alcoholism, addictive family system, and then the betrayal trauma. And so we would call that today, we didn't know it at the time, but it's really complex PTSD 
probably full-blown post-traumatic stress disorder. When um, yeah. talk about Eva, you have been betrayed. You're married to this man you don't know. It opens you up to self-discovery, more self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard you tell me and others as well. At least you're aware. So, but you've become <laughs> you've become more aware of yourself. It opens you up to intimate communication with the father of your children. Talk about the moment where you decided, you know what, let's let's do this again. Um, I, you know, it was such a process of, um, we both wanted the same things and we were both willing. And I think that's really what it takes uh, for, for all couples. It takes two willing people to begin to know themselves and to know one another. Um, and so when we work with a couple, that's really what we work on. And, you know, we've got to help the partner, or I do a lot of work with the partner, really validating her pain, helping her get connected with other women who are going through the same thing, because we're going to heal in community with other people who are maybe a little bit further along on the journey. Ron, I'd love to hear about your wedding day uh-huh. not the first one yeah the second but the second oh. wedding day because i've heard the story before and i oh, think yeah. the listeners would just uh, recognize the beauty in it yeah we when we decided that we were going to remarry we uh we we went up to clarksville georgia and uh we we're actually tent camping because i mean we've been divorced <laughs> you know we got we have no money at that point yes uh and so we go to clarksville georgia and we're going to camp at um, one of the parks up there and we went to the courthouse and um we're just going to do the justice of the peace thing but we asked is there somebody that can do a wedding ceremony in town and they said well as a matter of fact there's a retired baptist minister right down the street and so they they pointed us to his house. We walked down there, knocked on the door. They were at home, and we told them our story. He and, and his wife. He and his wife. And they were probably in their 70s, at least. I would think. <laughs> and, uh, and so, anyway, they uh, he did the ceremony, uh, and she was the witness, and it was probably one of the most beautiful weddings I've seen, been a part of. It was amazing. They cried. We cried. It was just a really neat part of our story. And guys, we are totally out of time, and mm-hmm. I have so much more I want to talk to you guys about, but I don't want to end the episode without giving our listeners an opportunity to get in touch with um, you if they need to. Eva, how can they do that? I, the easiest way is through our website, and our website is lifeworksms.com. Well, guys, thank you for being here today. I can't wait to hear the rest of the story. To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com.